Welcome to Pod TST, a weekly LA Rams podcast with me, Kenneth Arthur, lead writer over at Turf Show Times, a Rams blog. Check out turfshowtimes.com. Today I'm just going to be talking about some LA Rams news as there were a few big pieces to handle on, and that's one of my uh, favorite things that a butcher says. But also what I'm saying is that uh, Sean McVay has a couple of big pieces of meat to handle. It's a walk and talk and meat, though, uh, with a heart and I'm going to say liver and a couple of lungs. All the basic organs that a human being has, and those two new human beings announced as members of the Rams are defensive coordinator Raheem Morris and special teams coach Joe D. Camillus. Both hired officially on Thursday, January 21st, 2021, as coaches here under Sean McVay. Raheem Morris being, of course, the one that is more notable and will be the most talked about. Morris takes over for Brandon Staley, who led the Rams or helped lead the Rams to the number one defense in the NFL in 2020. He only had one year on the job after taking over from Wade Phillips, who had three years on the job. And I can't imagine that there's anything other than success to use as a word to describe Staley's one season as a defensive coordinator and now he's with the LA Chargers and he'll hire his own defensive coordinator but McVeigh has replaced him with Raheem Morris who is not that much older than Staley despite his much more extensive coaching experience in the NFL Raheem Morris is going to be 45 in September, and he was a head coach in the NFL at only 33, not that much older than Sean McVay when he became head coach of the LA Rams. And uh, Morris and McVay do have a significant history together, coaching on several teams as assistants alongside one another under John Gruden, under uh, and, and it kind of just going down that tree for a while, starting in 2002 for Morris, when he was coaching a defensive quality control coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers under John Gruden in 2002. Of course, that was the year that the Buccaneers won the Super Bowl. Morris was only 26 years old at the time. He had previously been coaching defensive backs at Hofstra. And then he went and he became an assistant on defense for one of the greatest defenses of all time. Of course, John Gruden's career at Tampa Bay didn't last forever, but Morris spent the next four years underneath uh, John Gruden's uh, tutelage. I don't want to say that he was underneath him physically, but figuratively, Morris spent four seasons under Gruden, spent one year as the defensive coordinator at Kansas State, went back to the Buccaneers, which, hey, I don't even need to look it up. It means that something didn't go right at K-State. But uh, probably just uh, football-wise. And then in 2007, he goes back to John Gruden, coaching defensive backs for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And then when John Gruden was fired, and Morris took over as the head coach in 2009. One of the most unusual uh, stories of ascension uh, in NFL coaching ranks history, even though at this point it's all just sort of uh, – pieces of words on an internet page doesn't really mean anything at this point. It, it just means that Morris at one point was viewed perhaps in the same light as a Sean McVay. His uh, success was not nearly as prevalent, uh, you know, but Morris did take the team to a 10 and six record in 2010, very close to the playoffs, 
but he did go three and thirteen and four and twelve in the bread to that uh, ten and six sandwich, getting fired at the age of thirty five. And uh, then Morris went back to becoming an assistant head coach, or excuse me, not an assistant head coach, but an assistant coach, and went back to being a part of that particular Gruden tree. In 2012, he was coaching the secondary in Washington underneath Mike Shanahan. Again, not physically underneath him. There aren't, you know, I don't think that these coaches are making people uh you know stacking on top of another one another that's that's for the cheerleading team the cheerleaders they're the ones that make pyramids but in the pyramids of a coaching tree it's all just uh figurative you know it's not literal i, I just need to get that across to everybody in case you think that i mean that these coaches are being stacked on top of one another like some sort of human bed but it's not that Raheem Morris was coaching secondary for Mike Shanahan in 2012, and that was the second time he was working with Sean McVay, who was coaching tight ends. Previously, of course, it was their stop with the Bucks, um, and then in 2000, and and that was also, by the way, when uh, he was working with Kyle Shanahan, the offensive coordinator. He spent three years there at, in Washington until 2015, after the uh, Shanahan. Slate was completely wiped off the uh, face of the map. Uh, Dan Quinn was hired with by the Atlanta Falcons. Raheem Morris jo joins him as the assistant head coach. He was saying, hey, I like your experience as a head coach. I like how much experience you've had running teams. Why don't you help me here? And Morris coached the defensive passive game coordinator in 2015, 2016. You know, this is, again, Kyle Shanahan also went to Atlanta. 2016, Kyle Shanahan's second year. The offense explodes. And one thing that doesn't get talked about as much because Kyle Shanahan was in a position with the Atlanta Falcons where in 2015 there was a lot of talk about, yeah, the offense isn't that explosive. It's not that exciting. It's not that interesting. Why is Kyle Shanahan continuing to get opportunities i mean the names shanahan and schottenheimer not that much different than one another at the time you know we're just talking about nepotism are we not you know people were speculating that kyle shanahan did not deserve uh, a offensive coordinator prior to 2016 a lot of people maybe not you i'm sure that you're feeling very defensive right now you're saying it's not me but a lot of people felt that way. And then in 2016, Raheem Morris became the wide receivers coach. In addition to being the assistant head coach, Raheem Morris was working with wide receivers such as Julio Jones. You probably heard of him. Now, what did Julio Jones do in 2016? He had a pretty good season. 83 catches, 1,409 yards, led the NFL in yards per game, 100.6, and 10.9 yards per target, which is a career high uh, even today in, in seasons in which uh, Julio Jones has played in at least 10 games that season. Last season, he put up 11.3 yards per target, but he was only targeted 68 times because he only played in nine games. Jones had led the NFL in catches and receiving yards in 2015, the year before Raheem Morris started coaching wide receivers. So he, he had a massive amount of production. But for the Falcons to take that next step forward, they needed their other wide receivers in 2016 to step up and take some of that pressure away from Julio Jones. And that was going to be a tall task for whoever was coaching those two particular receivers because 
the Falcons brought in two guys from other organizations, free agents, uh, and they said, hey, let's give you guys a, a shot here to really prove yourselves with Matt Ryan, with Julio Jones, with Kyle Shanahan as the offensive coordinator, and with Raheem Morris as your position coach. And, uh, and yeah, I said position coach. But uh, that position's coach was working with Mohamed Sanu, who in his last season with the Cincinnati Bengals in 2015 caught 33 passes for 394 yards and zero touchdowns. Then he goes to the Falcons, and he has 59 catches for 653 yards and four touchdowns, a career-high 72.8% catch rate, which still stands as his career high today, and 8.1 yards per target. So he got the most out of Mohamed Sanu that year and maybe one of his best years of his career. And the other guy was Taylor Gabriel, who in his previous season with the Cleveland Browns in 2015, caught 28 passes for 241 yards and no touchdowns. So both Sanu and Gabriel caught a combined zero touchdowns in 2015. And by the way, they only missed a combined three games. Gabriel, it wasn't an injury thing. It wasn't uh, an activity thing. You know, these guys were available and they were not threats. And then they go to the Atlanta Falcons. Taylor Gabriel caught 35 passes for 579 yards and six touchdowns with an immaculately good, I don't know if I'm allowed to use immaculate as a adverb, but uh, an immaculately good 11.6 yards per target. Much, much, much higher than anything he's ever done. Taylor Gabriel did not play in the NFL last season, but that was his best career season. So working with Raheem Morris, Raheem Morris worked directly with Mohamed Sanu and Taylor Gabriel and Julio Jones, and they all had great seasons, either for them or in the case of Jones in general, underneath Raheem Morris. Now, listen, I can't stress this enough. There was not a physical moment in which Raheem Morris put himself on top of these players, not like he didn't climb on their shoulders. Okay. So when I say underneath Raheem Morris, I don't mean physically speaking. It's, and I I don't even think it's a metaphor. Uh, I don't, and it's not ironic and vis-a-vis credit cards. So I just wanted to clear that up a little bit. So I've spent a lot of time talking about Raheem Morris now as a, you know, wide receiver coach and as a, a guy who has worked on both defense and offense. Raheem Morris continued to work with the wide receivers for until 2019, working as a passing game coordinator and assistant head coach. And then in 2020, Dan Quinn had him moved over to the defensive side of the ball again as a defensive coordinator. Quinn was fired after an 0-5 start. Raheem Morris was promoted to interim head coach and Jeff Ulbrich was promoted to defensive coordinator. Morris went four and seven in his 11 games as head coach of the Falcons last year. But I think we have to kind of just throw out all of that as irrelevant. Who cares? Who cares what Morris's record was as a head coach for the Falcons? He is the defensive coordinator for the Rams. The Rams are not asking him to take responsibility for the win loss record. They're not asking him to take away any duties from Sean McVay, although now that Joe Barry has left the Rams to become a assistant uh, with Brandon Staley on the Chargers, 
it does potentially leave an opening for an assistant head coach. And I don't know what sort of talk might have been bandied about about that since I started recording this podcast. Pa- podcast? Podcast. What if I turned out to be from New Jersey? But I'm not. So um, I don't know if maybe some, there could be a possibility here or there's talk about Raheem Morris as an assistant head coach. But it's something that good, it could work for him. But it, who gives a shit? I don't, I don't care. <laughs> you know, nobody does care, by the way. I don't even know if people care about coordinators. And you, you really shouldn't care that much. There's such an overrating of these uh, guys who come in and do these jobs. Oh, look at how phenomenal this guy's offense is. Oh, look at how incredible this guy's defense is. Well, I don't know. Is he working with Aaron Rodgers? Is he working with Patrick Mahomes? Let's 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 pump the brakes exactly on how much of an influence all of these coaches have. And by the way, if you could be a defensive coordinator on one team and suck, and you can be a defensive coordinator on another team and be outstanding, why this is a personnel league? No good head coach or no good coach at all, I think, will tell you that you can win in this league without great talent. You can do your best. I think we saw, you know, Bill Belichick, you know, for a long time, what his his motto and his mantra was do your job. And I think last season we saw how it turned to "Eh, do your best. Hey, guys, just uh, how about you just do your best out here? I know before I was saying do your job, but we don't have a ton. We don't have any talent. So uh, just do your best. I don't care what Ray Morris's record even was as a head coach. I don't care what his record was as a defensive coordinator. Sometimes at a certain point, you can lay it all out and say like, well, listen, this guy's worked with X, Y, and like Wade Phillips. You can make a determination on the type of career and impact Wade Phillips has had because he was in the NFL for so damn long. And he, by the way, he wants to come back. I I think that Wade Phillips is acutely aware of the fact that if you're not working, you might be dying. And he does not want to meet that grave just yet. So Wade Phillips is tirelessly working to get back into the NFL, and I give him props for that. Doesn't sound like any biters out there, but uh, just keep waiting, uh, Wade. You know, isn't somebody can't even get a? I wonder if Wade Phillips would even take like a consultant position, or if he's just like I'm only a defensive coordinator. You know, it's like a, a quarterback who says like I'm not going to be a backup. It's like okay, well you're not going to be in uh, this league, Tim Tebow. But I, I think that the the Rams hiring of Raheem Morris seems fine. Anybody out there that's telling you that it's great or that it sucks is lying to you and they might not even know it it's one of those lies that they don't even know that they're lying but they're they're um how do i put this there they've reformulated formulated a fantasy in their head of the future and they're telling it to you as if it's reality and that is the lie that uh, media members fans your uncle Joe Barry will, I don't know why I've, I've just happened to see Joe Barry on my screens. So that's why I uh, have said that he's lying. I don't know if Joe Barry's lying, but I'll tell you this, everybody's lied. So he probably did. So I think that the fact is that, uh, I don't care about a coordinator's history and, and I don't care about your take on whether or not a coordinator was a good hire or a bad hire. I don't care about your take about whether or not a coach was a good hire, like a head coach was a good hire or not a good hire. You don't know. Brandon Staley, 
Brandon Staley had no track record to speak of. Two years as an assistant on the Bears, one year as an assistant on the Broncos, all as a Vic Fangio disciple. And even now, all Brandon Staley has done is put together a rookie season. And he put together a rookie season full of players that he will, for the most part, never work with again. I think that maybe Brandon Staley could try and take John Johnson with him to the Chargers and think about a world in which him and Derwin James are really forming perhaps the best safety tandem in the NFL. Uh, I, I could see him going after Leonard Floyd, of course, because they've worked together in three of the last four years. I could see Brandon Staley taking some of those Rams with him. But, and we know that he's taken... Uncle Joe Barry, the liar. I'm just allegedly by me, but I don't I just shut up. If you're a media member who, who wants to tell you sell someone whether or not something is a good hire or a bad hire or a good draft pick or a bad draft pick, who knows? I don't care about your fantasy in your head about the future. Stop talking about it. Like it's the reality. Raheem Morris has worked with, None of these players on the Rams. He does not have a history of coaching Aaron Donald or Jalen Ramsey, and certainly not Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. So when Raheem Morris takes over the Rams defense, I assume a number of things, and that's going to make an ass out of me. But most importantly, it's going to make an ass out of you. I like that the ass out of you, ass out of me, whatever thing about assume says that it makes the person who's being assumed an ass. I, I don't. I don't know why I became like, if you assume, why am I an asshole? I didn't do anything. So anyway, I'm going to assume uh, that by having Raheem Morris will probably a run a lot of the same shit that Brandon Staley ran B run a lot of the shit that Sean McVay wants him to run and C will do a lot better with Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey than he did with the Falcons version of Dante Fowler you know, uh, a Keanu Neal, a safety who I really like, who has missed a lot of time, and I have no idea if he has actually like been able to rebound and have the type of impact and career that he was starting to have a couple of years ago. You know, Deion Jones, Grady Jarrett, there's talent with the Falcons, but not a lot of it, and not a lot of premier talent. Nobody on the Falcons last year had five sacks. Deion Jones led the team with four and a half. Fowler had a three-sack season over 14 games with eight quarterback hits. Grady Jarrett is their star player. And, uh, you know, similarly to Aaron Donald, you know, a defensive tackle. So maybe a guy who, uh, you know, that's that's going to be Raheem Morris. He's, he's worked with one of the best, if not one of the top three or four defensive tackles in the entire NFL in Grady Jarrett. And now he's going to work with Aaron Donald. He didn't have cornerback talent, really, uh, to speak of, not nearly at the level of a Jalen Ramsey. And it'll be interesting to see what he does with Darius Williams, who's a restricted free agent, and I assume will be brought back. But these are great. These are some of the great players that he has to work with on the Rams. And I don't know if he's going to do a good job. I don't know if he's going to do a bad job. I'm assuming he's probably going to do a job in which we don't even talk about Raheem Morris that much. But that is the the case. Remember how like Kevin O'Connell is one of the coaches on the Rams and an offensive coordinator in title. Like nobody spent any time talking about Kevin O'Connell in the beginning of this year. I 
were wrote, or excuse me, in the beginning of 2020, I covered both coordinator hires, Kevin O'Connell and Brandon Staley. And equally so, even though we knew that Kevin O'Connell was going to be in that Matt LaFleur uh, type of role where maybe he's not calling plays, maybe he's not having an impact on the offense on game day as much as Sean McVay. And that'll be some, certainly subject to discussion if the Rams offense doesn't get back to where it needs to be as it was in 2018. Certainly there'll be talk about whether or not Sean McVay should be in control of the offense, but that's another podcast to come out. I'm going to post that on August 3rd, 2021. So look out, by the way, um, I, it's, I just want to need a little bit of planning, but I definitely, I'll be talking about Kevin O'Connell on August 3rd, 2021. And then after uh, week nine against the Cardinals next season, uh, the Rams will win that game 17 to nine, but I'm actually going to go ahead and, uh, you know, but they're, since they've only been scoring uh, 16.8 points per game in the previous three games, uh, you, you guys don't know this yet, but it's it's something that's going on and in the future, and I, it's in my head, so I'm going to tell it to you because it's real, and I'm going to post a podcast on... I think that's November 3rd, 2021, uh, talking about why Kevin O'Connell should take over play calling duties from Sean McVay. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. I, I'm, I'm like nine months ahead of myself. Sorry about that. Um, so Ray Morris, new defensive coordinator, and Joe D. Camillus, or Camillus, uh, Joe D. Camilla Parker Bulls is going to be the new special teams coordinator, according to the L.A. Rams. And D. Camillus, you know, he's been in the NFL as a special teams coordinator since 1988, which is a really special year. Uh, that was the year uh, that Die Hard came out, I think, or maybe Die Hard 2. Okay, everybody at home, go ahead and uh, place your bets. Decide if you think Die Hard or Die Hard 2 came out in 1988. I'll wait. All right. What do you, you got your answer? Okay. Keep it there. Uh-huh. Well, guess what? The movie that came out in 1988 was Die Hard. Die Hard 2 came out in 1990. So for those of you who had guessed Die Hard 2, please... Uh, you have to go back five minutes in the podcast and you have to re-listen to everything I said. That's your punishment. And for those of you that answered Die Hard, you get to skip ahead five minutes and that's your reward. This podcast is going to go by even faster for you now. Uh, by the way, do you know what films came out in 1988? Highest grossing films? Let's go through the list again. Okay, you know, this time here on PodTST for what were the highest grossing films. Uh, and this one is 1988. So what guesses do you have? Die Hard, by the way, coming in tied, which I don't even really think you can tie, but they're putting $140 million as a tie, I guess. Die Hard is tied number 10 with The Naked Gun. By the way, did you know that they were talking about remaking, or at least uh, Seth MacFarlane wants to remake The Naked Gun with Liam Neeson in the lead role? And when I read that headline, I was like, wait a minute, he wants to make it with Leslie Nielsen? Isn't he dead? Wait, is this like he's going to do a CGI'd like Star Wars Carrie Fisher with <laughs> with Leslie Nielsen uh, in a remake of The Naked Gun because that's actually the funniest fucking thing I think I've heard all year. And it's been a long year, 2021. This is one of the longest years on record so far. So 
But no, but it was Liam Neeson of Taken fame. And I was taken aback by that news because, I mean, really, Liam Neeson, your your career's finished in terms of being like a lead action hero, probably. You're moving into that VOD with Bruce Willis, right? And Nicolas Cage. You're moving into that VOD realm. Why not give us a spark here with some of your comedy? Didn't Seth MacFarlane make that awful How to Make a Million Dies in the West? How to Make a Million Dies in the West? By the way, that is a good movie title, How to Make a Million Dies in the West. It's sort of like the original title of, oh boy, Live, Die, Repeat, which the original title of that, what, The the End of the Edge of Tomorrow, Live, Die, Repeat. Uh, what was the something kill? Uh that, how many titles do you think a movie should have? Because I think it should have at least 150, which is how many um, live, die, repeat. All you need is kill. All you need is kill. So number 10, Die Hard made $140 million. The Naked Gun made $140 million. Number nine, anybody out there guess Big starring Tom Hanks, number eight, Cocktail with Tom Cruise, which, by the way, first of all, Tom Tom. Second of all, never saw Cocktail. Everyone has always told me that it's just a very bad movie, that there's not really any redeeming value in it. So, but Tom Cruise was so hot at the time. He makes a Disney movie. It makes $171 million. Number seven, A Fish Called Wanda. This, by the way, the opposite of Cocktail this movie fucking rocks. If you haven't seen A Fish Called Wanda, I think it's on HBO. HBO Max, by the way, is and HBO is the, the only streaming service that I think is legit and like must have. So I would go with that. Number six, Rambo 3. Not sure what the plot of Rambo 3 is. I know that I've seen it, but that was a long time ago. Number five, Twins. $216 million. Number four, Crocodile Dundee 2. And by the way, we're talking about Sequel City, Rambo 3, Crocodile Dundee 2. I know that people complained about sequels in the 2000s, but now we get a complaint about sequels in the late 80s. We didn't even get to Die Hard 2 yet. Twins sound like it's a sequel, but it's not. The first one would have been Only Child. Twins should have a prequel called Only Child, right? Not a sequel called Triplets, which I think was planned for a long time. I don't know if they ever came out with it. Uh, but there should be a first one called Only Child in which we just follow a young Arnold Schwarzenegger who soon grows up to be a uh, an ill person who thinks that you got to have all the muscles in the world. Can we just say something quickly about The Rock and Arnold Schwarzenegger and these types of uh, people? You, if you have that many muscles, you need to have someone to talk. You need to talk to somebody. That is not healthy. All the muscles is not healthy. We should not be. I was watching Fate of the Furious with my girlfriend the other night because we decided to watch all the Fast and the Furious movies. She had never seen any of them. I had seen seven of them, some, most of them multiple times. But I did realize during that marathon session, it wasn't a marathon, you know, but, but we did do it in a, a couple of months or whatever. Um, but now we're on Fate of the Furious, which is so much better. I, we're only halfway through. These movies get so long. Hey, look, 
we got to fit in another cameo. How many cameos? I mean, just call the thing the cameo and more cameos. Instead of Fast and the Furious, just call it cameos and the more cameos. And we're an hour, we're like halfway through it. Much better than seven, which was just uh, a disaster for for me, for you, for Paul Walker, everybody involved. Um, but we we get not a lot of good uh, movies. But I think like I was what we were watching it, and The Rock shows up, and I'm just like, this guy is not healthy. He looks healthy because he's not fat. But there's a certain amount of muscles that are as bad, if not worse, than fat. And The Rock has 12 of them. So I, I think that that's something that we need to talk to The Rock about. Number four, Crocodile Dundee 2. That was a mis- mistake of, uh, of artistic degree, but not financial degree. $239 million at the box office. Number three, Coming to America. Speaking of sequels, Coming to, the number two America, is coming out uh, on a streaming service. I think either Netflix or... Hulu, maybe? No, Amazon Prime, I think. Uh, Coming to America sequel on Amazon Prime in March. Number two, he who framed Roger Rabbit, Rabbit, who framed who framed Roger Robert is what I want the movie to be called. Uh, we I want to make a movie called Who Framed Roger Robert, and I just want there to be a football player named Roger Robert, and that made $329 million at the box office, and we also watched that movie within the last month because she had never seen that. That's another 88 film. And finally, who out there has the number one movie at the box office in 1988? If you got the last question correct, you have just now skipped ahead five minutes and you missed all of my me wasting that time talking about the highest grossing films of 1988. If you got the question wrong, you've been wasting your time listening to me talk. And I'm sorry for you. Uh, I'm sorry for you. That was too bad of you to get that wrong, but I'll do you a solid right now. If you can tell me what the number one highest grossing film of 1988 is, you can skip ahead another five minutes. And if you get it wrong, you got to go back and you got to listen to this again. You got to listen to this whole top 10 movies um, list again. Can you believe that? And if you don't do it, your phone won't be uh, updated properly the next time it tries to update. I've installed a little bit of a bug here in the podcast through, uh, and it's just audio. It's not ones and zeros. It's just the way that I'm able to talk, but it's going to mess up your phone. So follow the rules. Number one movie in 1988. I'm going to give you some hints. Number one, it was distributed by MGM. Now, I was hesitant to even give that away because I think it kind of... I mean, now you know what it is. I mean, everybody knows what movies MGM released in 1988 and 1987, 89. So that's one of my main problems is that I've kind of just given it away. Number one movie. It also, the lead actor is also on this list at number eight. If you remember what number eight is, if you don't, you remember, you got to go back and go back to number eight. Maybe that'll help. Uh, the other lead actor, which is also a hint, by the way, how many movies have two lead actors? Let's go through the top 10 films of 1988 and ask ourselves how many of these movies have two lead actors? The Naked Gun. No, that's a Leslie Nielsen picture. That's a Leslie Nielsen vehicle. 
my mouth, I think, is going to uh, retract into my stomach through a lack of saliva by the way that I talk. And especially when I say Leslie Nielsen versus Liam Neeson. Leslie Nielsen, Liam Neeson. Leslie Nielsen, Liam Neeson. Leslie Neeson, Liam Nielsen. Liam Nielsen. That sounds like Laurel and Yanny. Liam and Nielsen. Um, so, no, that's a Leslie Nielsen vehicle, which, by the way, my favorite joke in The Naked Gun is the way that Leslie Nielsen constantly runs his car into the when he's parking the car he runs it into the car that's parked on the street so hard that's one of the funniest jokes that's ever been in a movie if you don't know what i'm talking about watch the naked gun but that's a one-person film die hard one-person film not an offense to alan rickman but that is a solo picture big solo picture Cocktail. I said I never saw it, but that's a solo picture. Tom Cruise, uh, a fish called Wanda ensemble piece. But there's really, truly one breakout star in the form of Kevin Klein. So um, it is an ensemble piece. Rambo 3, one person picture. Twins. It's right there in the title. That's a two person lead. Crocodile Dundee 2. They can put the number two in there, but you can't fool me. That's a Paul Hogan picture. And Paul Hogan, if you know anything about him, he had two movies. Three, if you include Crocodile Dundee Goes to L.A., which, by the way, if you don't know that, that movie, the third movie in Crocodile Dundee, written by Matthew Barry, the fantasy football Matthew Barry. Yes, I know. Can you believe that? No, I'm serious. I'm not joking. Look it up. Crocodile Dundee 3 was written by Matthew Barry. Some of you are out there. I know. Yeah. Oh, stop interrupting me. Stop interrupting. Okay, go back five minutes. Go back five minutes in the podcast. You're interrupting me. I'm telling you, it was written by Matthew Barry. Can you imagine if you watched a movie written by Keith Olbermann? What an awful experience that would be. Can you imagine if you watched a movie written by Mina Kimes or uh, Nick Wright or Colin Coward? Habba hubba. Uh, number three, coming to America, two-person picture. So we've got twins coming to America. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Rabbit? Oh, baby, you know that's a two-person picture. Bob Haskins, Roger Robert. That is a two-person picture if I've ever heard of it. And number one, two-person picture. We've got an Oscar winner for this movie. We've got best picture for this movie. And we got number one at the box office for this movie. That's right. You know him, you love him, you counted how many toothpicks he dropped on the ground. It's Rain Man, number one in 1988. So, the L.A. Rams. Uh, by the way, if you got that right, skip ahead five minutes, although I am going to now just talk about, um, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, Joe T. Camillus started coaching the in the NFL in 1988. Blah, 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 had a long career. He's the new special teams coach. John Bonamigo. Spent last year as a special teams coordinator. He'll be moving on to a different position as a senior coaching assistant. Um, we don't know what any of these special co teams coordinators do. We don't. We pretend like we know. We act like we know. And uh, we're all lying through our teeth. So uh, the fact is the Rams had very good, interesting special teams underneath John Fossil. But uh, again, who cares? It, he had Johnny Hecker and Greg Zerline. I mean, Johnny Hecker is still doing it. 
John Greg Zerlines just didn't wasn't doing it, and then he went to Dallas and whatever. And Matt Gay was fine, and the special teams is fine. So uh, those are the two new coaching hires. Moving on quickly here, Jared Goff and the other quarterback options. You know, Jared Goff, will he be the starter in 2021? The fact of the matter is that the Rams can do very little to get rid of Jared Goff's contract, uh, if not nothing. They will be paying him a lot of money next year. They will be allocating a lot of money on the salary cap to Jared Goff over the next two years. There's nothing they can do to get away from that money. But let's say hypothetically, let's say uh, John Wolford had come in and uh, not gotten hurt in the playoffs against the Seahawks, led the Rams to a win, went to Green Bay, led the Rams to another win, put up 35 points. At this point, people would be saying right now at this very time, they'd be saying, get John Wolford the ball. And we wouldn't care so much. They, they would try and trade Jared Goff. Uh, if they wanted to feel comfortable with John Wolford, then they could trade Jared Goff and try and get back a, maybe they could get a, I don't know, second round pick. I think they could maybe get a second round pick because Sam Bradford, you know, he got a decent return. I mean, with Nick Foles in terms of the Rams and then, but with in terms of like, the Eagles and the Vikings. I mean, he got a first round pick from the Vikings. So I think that Nick Foles being his age, given that, uh, that the incoming team, uh, the team taking him on wouldn't have to assume all of those bonus, uh, cap hits and that he's under contract, but it's not an unreasonable contract so much for the team acquiring him. And the fact that he, is decent enough would be enough for a team that feels like they have a lot of pieces. Like let's say the Indianapolis Colts, let's say the Colts want to trade for a quarterback because Phillip rivers retired and they don't want to use their first pick on a quarterback. Well, maybe they could trade a second round pick for Jared Goff. Um, this is not totally insane. And it just is a matter of having that player on the Rams to replace him. And that's going to be the most difficult part because John Wolford didn't do enough, uh, didn't get enough opportunities and, and didn't do quite enough in those opportunities to make someone believe that like the Rams have their next guy already. There are options out there available. People will talk about Deshaun Watson, but the Rams don't have any first round picks this year. And Three teams have two first-round picks, and some teams will make trades in the next couple of months to have multiple first-round picks as well. And there's also going to be some talk about whether or not first-round picks in this draft are even that valuable. There's not going to be a combine. Uh, there's going to be a lot. It's the, the evaluation process is going to be a lot more difficult, and maybe first-round picks aren't worth as much as they were before, which is a good news for the Rams, I think, because then they can – say that, uh, you know, they traded Jalen Ramsey at a time when first round picks weren't as valuable. I mean, right now the Rams can say, look, we, they traded, uh, uh, what 20 pick 23, 24, whatever it is, uh, for Jalen Ramsey, 25, 26, whatever. Um, they traded that. And the other one last year, you know, which was what pick 19 for Jalen Ramsey, not bad mid late first round picks, two of those for Jalen Ramsey, pretty good, but they don't have it now. And so, I mean, second round pick and what two third round picks and a first round pick and a first round pick. I mean, for the for the Rams to get Deshaun Watson, you're talking about you're talking about a 2022 and a 2023 first round pick 
in the same vein of saying like, well, what if they're mid to late first round picks? If the Rams have Deshaun Watson, they have to take on his contract. They have to figure out the money. They have to figure out a lot of different little things to make that happen. And they just don't have nearly an ammunition, 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 ammunition. Hey, I'm on a mission. Okay, uh, let me continue to talk about. So, like Deshaun Watson, hard to believe. Sam Darnold, hard to expect a lot out of Sam Darnold at this point. Like, is he more valuable than keeping that second round pick and using it on a quarterback in the draft who will have four years of control as opposed to Sam Darnold being a free agent in 2022? And just is a prospect still at this point who never overcame whatever coaching deficiencies may be around him. But just because Adam Gase is a bad coach doesn't mean Sam Darnold is a good quarterback. A lot of bad media members out there will be like, Sam Darnold's got a lot of talent. This is something I'm saying. uh, Colin Coward was saying the other day, Sam Darnold's got a lot of talent. Okay. Adam Gase ruined Sam Darnold. That's, Colin Coward saying about like, uh, nobody knows this. Josh Rosen has a lot of talent, so nobody knows this. Or Matthew Stafford and what would it take to get a Matthew Stafford? Also probably first round picks and stuff like that. So for the Rams, it's a matter of uh, knowing if they have another player on the roster who can replace Jared Goff. And until that happens, Jared Goff seems set as the quarterback. My other thing to think about before we go is... What will the defense look like with Raheem Morris? Well, I think one thing that I see when I look at the Rams' defense is maybe they just need one more star. They've got Donald. They've got Ramsey. Last year, they had John Johnson as their third best player, and he's a free agent, and he could very well leave, as I said earlier. And But he wasn't a star. I mean, maybe he is a secret star, but he wasn't a very well-known one. And I know that he had a very good high value to the L.A. Rams, but not Troy Palomalu, you know? So where do the Rams find that third star, especially when they don't have a first-round pick? Which, by the way, just because you have a first-round pick, I mean, what is it going to be? Caleb on Chason was going to change the Rams last year? If they had pick, kept their pick and drafted Caleb on Chason or A.J. Terrell, uh, th- that was going to change their defense? It's a rookie, everybody. It's a rookie. Let's, uh, let's hang out. And not only is it a rookie, but it's a nobody. Let's all just hang out and say, like, well, maybe there will be a star here or there. Terrell Burgess was a guy who, in training camp, immediately seemed to take a liking. Uh, you know, they immediately seemed to take a liking to him as a safety. Maybe as a starting safety. Injuries held him back. But also, he wasn't as ready for a role on defense as Jordan Fuller. We saw that in the beginning of the year, Jordan Fuller starting at strong safety next to John Johnson and playing very well, helping the Rams win a few games there. And then Terrell Burgess, just as he started to get his playing time ramped up in the middle of the season, uh, got injured and out for the year. But I think that the Rams can see this guy as having a very high ceiling with John Johnson probably on the way out. That leaves an opening there at safety, and you're talking about Maybe Jordan Fuller and Terrell Burgess forming a pretty good safety duo if Burgess 
is as good as they hope. Terrell Lewis, uh, another guy who could be a secret star on the defense if he manages to stay healthy, which was not at all the case. But I think that the Rams need to find the tip of their triangle with Donald and Ramsey, and that could help them not just be a top-ranked defense again, as they were last year, but maybe an actually explosive and dominant defense, the type that really does make Aaron Rodgers and the Packers fear hosting them in a playoff game, or to the LA's uh, better liking, uh, hosting the Packers. So I think that uh, they got to find their next defensive star, and he could already be on the team, Terrell Burgess, Terrell Lewis, Maybe Jordan Fuller, maybe somebody else emerges. Darius Williams wasn't a star, but he he took over his opportunities. And then they've just got some other players. But maybe in that linebacker position too, whether maybe it's Traven Howard, who I think is a restricted free agent, um, that's an opportunity there somewhere in the linebacker position. All right, all right, all right. Everybody calm down. Everybody calm down. I'll, I'll wrap up the podcast now. I know it's been such a good time. I hope that uh, you got to skip ahead 10 minutes. That must have been very nice for you. This podcast was even shorter if that was the case. But that's it for this episode of Pod TST, a weekly LA Rams podcast with Kenneth Arthur. If you enjoyed this, then smash that like button. I don't think there's a like button. I don't know about that. But uh, retweet me right now. I'll just wait. Go ahead. Thank you. All right. And uh, share me on uh, Facebook with your aunt and your uncle Joe Barry. That's it. We'll come back in uh, several days to do another episode talking about the Rams and the top grossing films of another year. I was going to tell you what year, but I don't want you to cheat. No cheating. Top grossing films coming next time.